Welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of one of the largest and oldest wrestling families on the planet. The Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Through 93 years and four generations. The Stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name. You will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. It's me, David Summers, hosting another studcast with the Tennessee stud, Rob Fuller. This is the only podcast on the planet which is documenting the real story of professional wrestling. Ron Fuller is or has been an entrepreneur, a businessman, a hockey team owner. As a championship wrestler, he's held every major title in every organization he's ever worked for. He's been a promoter and a wrestling company owner. He's wrestled Luthez, Jack Briscoe, Harley Race, Terry Funk, Ric Flair, and many other superstar names. He is known for his legendary relationship with Andre the Giant. You do not want to be in Waffle House with these two back in the day. He is also an author. A review of his new book, Brutus, compares it to Jaws, and it's available on his website at tnstud.com or on amazon.com. With well over 20 family members in the business and a family that was in the wrestling business over 100 years ago, get ready to hear another story of wrestling history as told by the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Please welcome the originator of the stud cast, the man who changed the podcasting world with the super stud cast. Let's step back into the ring and back into time with the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. What's going on, my man, Ron? Jeez, man. I, gosh, if you left anything out there, Dave, <laughs> I can't I can't imagine what it could be. My <laughs> goodness. I sound like, uh, wow. I mean, <laughs> that's a tremendous introduction, man. I don't know how to follow that, man. <laughs> I'm glad to be here, though. Uh, let's start, start with that. I'm certainly glad to be here today, man, and uh, looking forward to this one. This is going to be, I think, one of the best uh, studcasts we've probably done, in my opinion, and uh, in my humble opinion, I maybe should add, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. All right. So listen, let's start by saying that tnstud.com, tnstud.com is where you start your Christmas shopping for the ultimate wrestling fan on your list. If you order now, you get it in time for Christmas. Autograph photos of the stud, T-shirts in black and blue, autographed copies of Ron's novel we were just talking about, Brutus, an incredible and historical DVD collection loaded with matches and interviews from the Continental and Southeastern Wrestling Days. TNstud.com is the stud's home on the Internet. Order now. Get everything in time for Christmas. All right. Are you strapped in? Are you ready to ride and get this thing oh, on the road? Yeah, man, I sure am. Uh, this is a good one. I'm looking forward to it. All right. So where are we riding today, Ryan? What's going on? 
Well, like I said, man, this to me is a really special one today. Uh, today's training is going to obviously it's going to have us in the owner hats today because we are creating the holiday idea that's uh, going to dramatically change wrestling forever, uh, basketball forever, having games, playing games, and running matches on uh, Christmas. I'm pretty sure that I'm the first to do this. I know that uh, that the Google doesn't say so. But Google is darn sure off by several years on who they say is the first to do it. So until somebody lets me know that I was not the first, I think I'm the first to ever do one of these to begin to do every Thanksgiving, having a match on every Thanksgiving. Uh, well, so you're, you're first on so many other things. How would you not be the first on this? I certainly wouldn't doubt it that, that you are. Well, we're going to find out, I'm sure, because there'll be a lot of people out there listening to this and they I'm probably going to get a lot of people go, oh, why wow, you're 20 years late, you know, <laughs> but uh, if, if that's the case, please let me know. That's, uh, that's all, all right, I can say about that. that. Okay. So right. we're going to be talking about the first ever Southeastern Thanksgiving night wrestling in Knoxville and maybe anywhere in wrestling to my knowledge, as I just said, this is a truly great card for this Thursday night special Thanksgiving deal. We're going to be looking at, and break down the tremendous TV show that promotes this card. And it is truly a great show because we've got four actual audio from that TV, which was almost 44 years ago today from our date that we're doing this program. Uh, we're going to get the results of that very first ever Thanksgiving card. We're going to get the attendance of that card, not only that card, but we're also going to get the attendance of the entire Thanksgiving week which is one of the biggest weeks. Well, it is the biggest so far in Southeastern at this point, and uh, one of the biggest ever. So there are several, uh, you know, great learning tree questions in this one from one person about the Cadillac tournament that is also on the Thanksgiving card, by the way. And uh, this stud cast is just loaded. It, and as I said before, it may be one of the best ever. I really think uh, fans are going to enjoy this one. I don't doubt that there could be a song and dance included in this thing. All right, it sounds like we better cinch up tight and hold on, Ron. I got my cowboy hat pulled down real low. It's a 10-gallon hat. Let's ride. Sounds like you're ready, too, Dave. I mean, (laughs) I hope you do have your pants on, though. So uh, (laughs) let's ride then into what I believe may be the first ever Thanksgiving night wrestling card in history. Cool. Today's training uh, is going to have us putting on the owner's hats, obviously. Only an owner could make a decision like this. So let's try something crazy before this first Thanksgiving night match of 1976. And the reason why is that Southeastern Wrestling may have been the first in professional wrestling to intentionally run an event in its largest market on a Thursday night. I mean, maybe people ran when the town was on Thursday. Jacksonville, Florida, was, for instance, was a Thursday town. So it might have run on an occasional they would have run every Thanksgiving if they were running on Thursday. But I don't remember working in Jacksonville on Thanksgiving night in the four years that I wrestled in Florida. So uh, I really believe, uh, as I said just a minute ago, I looked it up on Google just to Google it, just to see. And Google says that the first wrestling event on Thanksgiving was done by the Crockett's in the Mid-Atlantic Territory in 1983 in Greensboro, North Carolina. Well, by golly, that just shows me that Google hasn't have all of the most accurate information because I ran one seven years prior to that in 1976. 
Wow. And I believe that that seven years earlier in 76, probably the first Thanksgiving wrestling show that was run, even changing my major town's date to get it to run every Thanksgiving after that. So why did I decide to run Knoxville on Thursday, Thanksgiving night, 1976? You know, obviously it's one of our biggest holidays. And especially since my city ran on Friday regularly, why would I want to move it forward one day uh, just for the heck of it? So there are several reasons for it. It made sense to me that holidays were huge family days when everybody in the family congregated in somebody's house. They were there. They, they meet each other. They eat together. They celebrate together. They have fun together. And, you know, because I'm from the South, uh, and most of us in the southern part of the country, or a great deal of us, eat our Thanksgiving meal in the afternoon, not at the evening like it's customary in other mm-hmm. parts of the country. Mm-hmm. So being an old southern boy, uh, you know, it made sense to me that if the good old southern families having such a great time eating together, that many of them in the early evening are not ready to split up. They're not ready to go home. They ain't ready to end the fun, you know. So they wanted to continue to celebrate the day together, I was thinking, after even after dark. You know, just because it gets dark doesn't mean you have to go home and that you can't continue to celebrate together. So what better way to do that than to go to a live event together and continue the fun on into the night? Many members of these families already were wrestling fans. They didn't have the opportunity to go to matches as a group very often. They went individually. So. I thought these special holiday family nights at the matches would bring everybody closer together, and maybe it would quickly become the most popular and attended events for Southeastern. And soon after, it's going to turn out to be for a whole lot of other territories. It's going to be copied like a lot of things I have done and been the first to do. So these family nights not only bonded the adults, Uh, by making them stronger fans, obviously, but also the children that were basically the fans of the future, you know? So I was sure the largest building in the territory would have record crowd after record crowd at these events continued year after year. If I did it, I thought it was going to be successful and it was going to stay successful. In fact, I attribute a whole lot of my growth of, of my wrestling companies to these holiday matches, not just the Southeastern in Knoxville, but the Southeastern in Pensacola, places that I went, I instituted these Thanksgiving night and Christmas night spectaculars. And I attribute a lot of the growth in those companies to having those nights in which families could come and be together and enjoy the sport together. It got people going to your matches that had never been there before. And it made fans that were going to come for years afterward. So another great thing about the events on a holiday night was the fact that the following day was usually also a holiday. Black Friday also follows Thanksgiving night. And uh, all schools are out the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, you know, this is a two-day holiday, basically. Parents couldn't even use the excuse to their children that the next day was a school day as a reason why you couldn't take them. Right. (laughs) I figured, boy, you know, this is going to be good. So why wouldn't you, as a promoter, take advantage of these special holidays to set record crowds, to create all these new potential fans, to spotlight your business by appealing to families? Uh, So when you got the kids begging to go to wrestling, you also got the adults there and buying the tickets. Kids swing a lot of weight. 
<laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> there was another important reason I wanted to run on Thanksgiving, especially in southeastern Knoxville. Knoxville always ran on a Friday night. Friday and Saturday were obviously the best two nights of the week for sports entertainment and for a lot of other types of entertainment. People want to do stuff on the weekend. So by moving Knoxville one day forward to Thursday, Thanksgiving night, it assured Southeastern an opportunity to sell out an extremely rare weeknight. So Southeastern could run another really strong city on that great Friday night. So that usually meant Southeastern gross attendance was going to be potentially increased by, say, 4,000 or more fans than usual in just those two nights alone. I got to thinking if I can sell out Thanksgiving night, then I can take a town that doesn't normally sell out and sell it out on a Friday night because it's a weekend. It just made sense. It gave Southeastern what was actually a three-day weekend, <laughs> including that included the Saturday night matches. Yeah. So you got the Thursday, you got the Friday, and you got the Saturday, three sellouts in a row. It was maximizing Southeastern's profits. It was building its future at least twice a year on Thanksgiving and Christmas. It's a small wonder that word soon got around to other territories. They all began to do it, and every one of them that did it set records for themselves. So Southeastern had basically broken the ice again for wrestling. And speaking of breaking the ice, Dave, uh, I wanted to do the same thing in hockey when I went into hockey in 1989. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm at first meeting. I said with the owners, man, I'm looking at the schedule here, guys, and there's nobody playing on Thanksgiving. And they were like, are you kidding? Who would? <laughs> and I go, well, you're giving up the biggest night of the year. Do you realize that? Right. And I couldn't talk the guys into it because they were so conservative in that sport. Oh, mm -hmm. Ron, you can't change everything. Well, I wanted to change everything just about. They would have set all-time attendance records on those Thanksgiving nights if they'd just run, you know. But uh, they never saw the light. Wow. Well, you have the NFL playing on Thanksgiving. You have the NBA playing on Christmas Day. So, But nonetheless, it's hard to believe, Ron, that you had this kind of influence on two sports as different as wrestling and hockey. All right, and since you brought up hockey, Fans can find out about your accomplishments in hockey in the fascinating Super Studcast number 25 at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Super Studcast number 25. If fans have not heard this one, I highly recommend it. Now, we got to get these hosses watered so we can get back riding again and get back on the trail. Where are we headed to? We're going to look, to my knowledge, uh at that first Thanksgiving wrestling garden history on Thursday, November 25th, 1976, Southeastern wrestling opened the doors on a totally new concept in wrestling for the first time ever fans could have their Thanksgiving family get together in the afternoon and enjoy live matches together that night. So here goes wrestling history. First card, and now, and everybody, I'm I'm opening the door out there for a lot of comments. If you find something better or different than what I'm saying, then obviously let me know about it. But I believe this was the first to ever Thanksgiving card. It opened with three Cadillac matches. Uh, the first was Don Cranoodle versus the Gladiator, which was the new Gladiator, Jim Dalton. The second was Ron Wright versus the great Mephisto. The third Cadillac match was Tor Tanaka against Big Bad John. 
The fourth one was a break up the tag team match. Another one of those concepts I came up with that I don't know that had ever been done, may not have been done since. This was designed to end the tag team feud that had gone on for months. And that was exactly what was happening with the Jimmy Golden and Mike Stallings against the Bond Stigers. They had had months of all times of different tag team matches. So this one was a Texas tornado match with all four men in the ring at the same time. The big stipulation in this one was that the loser of the fall had to leave Southeastern. So if you got beat, you were gone. And that obviously broke up one of these two teams. So the main event for the Southeastern Championship was Ronnie Garvin, the champion managed by Big Bad John, and he would be facing me. Yeah, for the first time since October 10, 1976, when I got injured in that Terry Funk match by Garvin, I'm going to be in the ring with Garvin. So uh, I was looking very much forward to that night. Well, I can see why this thing was called the Thanksgiving Spectacular, no doubt about it. All right, it had to be a ton of fun for the fans. After their turkey in the afternoon, they got to see some tremendous Southeastern wrestling that night. That is so cool. All right, Ryan, my guess is that now we're going to be talking about the big TV show for Saturday, November 20th, 1976, that promoted this big Thanksgiving event. Uh, you brought your calendar again, did you, Dave? <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're ready, man. You're sitting on ready. You're way ahead of me. So, uh, yeah, and you're right again, too, Dave, by the way. So this TV was another fantastic one. Uh, we have today four more of those historic actual audios from 44 years ago. This TV had a Southeastern Championship match live on that show with Ronnie Garvin defending against Ron Wright on this television show. So it opened up with me coming to the set and carrying the TV championship trophy. And for those that listened last week, I had won that trophy by forfeit, and uh, I took it over and tried to give it to Les, and Les kind of talked me out of it. So uh, I end up opening up this show by taking that TV championship trophy back to the desk with Les. And uh, I'd won it by forfeit from Big Bad John. So immediately uh, following that win, I took it over there. Les and I talked about it. Les said, Ron, you had to give this trophy up by forfeit almost a year ago because you got legitimately hurt. Why don't you keep it now because you won by forfeit by a guy that wasn't even hurt, right? So it made a little sense. So, you know, I did walk out the last show with the TV trophy. But I told Les after I brought it back in the opening of this show that I had a better idea for Southeastern than just letting me win something as important as the TV championship by forfeit. I told Les, I, I had a question. I said, oh, why doesn't Southeastern make me win it? And that, what I proposed is that I meet the Southeastern champion, Ronnie Garvin, next week on TV for the TV trophy and the TV championship. Uh, Boy, the studio crowd loved it. They popped like, okay. wow, heck yes, of course, man. You know, so Les said, okay, Ron, uh, I'll ask Big Bad John and Ronnie Garvin during the show today if they're willing to accept that challenge. So uh, remember, too, you know, <laughs> David, it's TV ratings month, and uh, right. that's not a bad way to, to end the, t the last week of the TV ratings month with this TV championship match between me and Garvin. No so. Since the fans didn't actually get to see the match last week for the trophy, because there was a forfeit, I felt that they deserved to see a match next week and a, and a darn good one. 
So I left the trophy sitting on the desk by Les, and I said I wouldn't claim it as mine until I had beaten someone for it. I just didn't feel like it was right to win something like that by forfeit. I got a huge hand from the crowd, obviously, when I left, and the trophy sat in that spot on Les's desk for the entire show. Wow. So Jimmy Golden and Mike Stallings, they lit up the crowd, man. Seconds later, they entered the studio. They were in the first live match. They got a quick win, and I joined those two guys at the set for the first interview of the show. They had the most important match of their careers as a tag team the following Thursday, Thanksgiving night. They had that Texas Tornado tag match, all four guys in the ring with the Von Steigers. And the loser, it was a pretty tough stipulation that the loser of the fall had to leave the territory. He was done there. So not only will one team no longer be wrestling together after this match, but someone's not going to wrestle again in Southeastern for at least a year. So I was going to have my first chance on Thanksgiving at Ronnie Garvin and the Southeastern title since the Terry Funk match in the Coliseum, and which was six weeks earlier. So what you're going to hear next is the interview that was made by Mike Stallings, Jimmy Golden, and myself 44 years ago. All right. So we're going to get our producer in San Francisco, Lou Kippelman, to play the interview. Lou, let's knock that thing out. Well, Les, you know, it's come right down to this. Somebody's got to go. You know, I kind of like it in here, and Jimmy feels the same way, and I ain't going nowhere, and Jimmy Golden ain't going nowhere. So, Dermis, the one who loses the ball, baby's going to go. And the way I feel, and Jimmy feels the same way about this, if we get rid of one of you, the other's going to be right behind you. So pack your bags, Daddy. You're going on a long bus ride, and I don't care where. I hope back to Germany, because we're sick and tired of you in here. That studio crowd was absolutely on fire. I don't know how they could be any louder than that, Ron. That is incredible for that TV studio. That's awesome. Well, hey, you, all you need to do, Dave, is just wait to the end of the show, and you could ask me that question again. Really? Because, uh, <laughs> that's not going to be nearly the biggest pop uh, wow. problem. <laughs> so the second match was the new gladiator, Jim Dalton, uh, getting, obviously, for him, a very important TV win before his first Cadillac tournament match, which was going to be on that Thursday, the Thanksgiving night. And after his match, the great Mephisto and the Gladiator made their interview 
from Studio B is Ron Wright and Don Carnoodle, who were the two guys they're going to be wrestling against in the Cadillac tournament, did their interviews from the set with Les. Uh, and it was Ron Wright and Don Carnoodle's first Cadillac tournament matches. Uh, Wright was going to be against Great Mephisto, and Don Carnoodle was going to be against the Gladiator. Ron Wright got the ball rolling, man, right off the bat with his assessment of the beautiful Cadillac being just fine, as he would say, but he mowed his pink. (laughs) 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 Oh, boy. Ron was really good, man. I mean, you know, that's a beautiful car, man, but he didn't like the color of it. But he then added to it, he said, you know what, that Arab Mephisto, he says that, he don't need to win it because he don't know how to drive a camel, much less a car. <laughs> so, so Ron got his big pop, as he always did. And Carnoodle's a young guy, but he's getting his stuff together. He's going to go home to uh, the Carolinas and become a major star for them over there. And Canoodle pointed out right after Ron finished that he was going against what used to be his friend, the Gladiator. But this new gladiator was not his old friend, Dick Steinborn. You know, he said, I don't know who who this guy is or who he thinks he is that's now wearing Dick's mask and his outfit. But, uh, you know, it don't make any difference to me. He says, I've always dreamed of owning a brand new Cadillac. And I really don't care, Ron, what color it is. (laughs) (laughs) So, So it was a pretty decent way to start the show. So. Uh, you know, less like uh, so many fans at this point wanted to hear the new Gladiator speak. You know, he he had tried for several weeks here to make sure that everybody knew that, hey, this is not Dick Steinborn. So he threw it to the two wrestlers in Studio B, and he specifically asked the Gladiator what he thought of the car. And uh, Mephisto, before the Gladiator could start the interview, Mephisto put his hand over the Gladiator's mouth and he fired back at Les and he did his Aram deal, you know, and he said, you know, my, my new friend doesn't speak to infidels such as the three of you, Doctor. <laughs> you know, and uh, he says uh, something like, uh, you know, he plans to do his talking in the ring. As yeah. for me, he says, I plan on making it a hot night for Ron Wright. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. he said that the ignorant hillbilly couldn't even maneuver a vehicle such as that car he says i'm <laughs> gonna win that car and he says i'm gonna send it back to my country saudi arabia uh. <laughs> so he had his plans as well so the personality profile was again on the cadillac it was done earlier in the day uh, as it was the week before and the huge upboard date was in studio b with less and phil And they showed, to go along with the guys that had won and lost in that first week, they showed some quick videos of three Cadillac matches from the first week of the tournament. They showed a little bit of Jimmy Golden's win over Mephisto. They showed my forfeit win over Big Bad John. They discussed how that transpired. And then they showed how both Mike Stallings and Carl Von Steiger got their first loss because they wrestled to a draw. They added the plus signs by the name that indicated you had won, or they added the minus signs if you had lost. Uh, that way the fans could keep up with it. They knew if you lost two matches, you're out of the tournament. Mm-hmm. The studio fans were very much into this segment of the show, and boy, I was really happy to see that. I just knew this Cadillac tournament was going to light things up. So the Von Steigers, Southeastern Tag Champions, they were in the third match. And boy, they just 
brutally beat down some young boys. It was pitiful. Now, they went to the set with Les for the third interview. They answered that first interview that we had heard earlier from 44 years ago with Mike Stallings and Jimmy Golan and myself. They laughed and made fun of the ridiculous names that Americans had for their wrestling matches. You know, uh, they asked uh, Les, what is a Texas tornado match? You know, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and then they said, what is a tornado? <laughs> you know, they didn't know what a tornado was. And, right. and then, you know, so then, then when he answered it, they laughed at him and made fun of him, you know, and, and then they ended up very seriously. They said that they were never going to be split up as a team. And they were going to do whatever it took to win against the inferior Americans. Those yeah. boys had a lot of confidence. They sure as heck did. And they, and they were, they should have, they were a great team. Final match of the day was the Southeastern championship match between the champion, Ronnie Garvin with his manager, big bad John against the fan favorite of all time, Ron Wright. It was equivalent to a main event on any TV. It was equivalent to a main event in any arena. And that in fact, it was on TV was just even better. Uh, of course, it was on TV because it was ratings, period. So now the stage was set for this Southeastern Heavyweight Championship match on TV. Uh, John and uh, Garvin, they stopped by the set with Les on their way to the ring. It was their first chance to be seen on the show. And they stopped by the desk to answer the challenge that I had made at the beginning of the program. Uh, when I challenged uh, Garvin for the a shot uh, at the Southeastern Championship. Whoever won between me and him became the TV champion the following Saturday. Big Bad John said something about they'd be happy to take that trophy back from me, that Garvin uh, then could give it back to him again so he would have it again. <laughs> so how would you like to hear the, the intro to this match, Dave? I would love to hear that. I bet that'd be cool. Bear in mind, when you don't hear a lot of crowd reaction to the ring announcer in this intro, it's because so much is happening so fast at this point in this program. We're right at the end of the show. You've got this very important match for the Southeastern Championship. You've got the trophy that they're talking about. You've right. got the Garvin and Big John still at the set. You've got Ron Wright, who wasn't in the ring at this point. But Les is going to give you people, uh, everybody that listens to this at the end, a little idea of what's about to happen in the ring. All right, here we go. Lou? You get that audio ready? Let's hear it. Here we go. Real quick out front here. You see where the belt is at? But return to one again. Billy is like the rest of them. He cheap, and he just couldn't afford to hold on to it too damn. He just no longer. He just couldn't afford it, could you, Mark? One full match, TV time remaining from Kingsport, Tennessee, weighing 235 pounds. East Tennessee's number one hillbilly, Ron Wright. Also from Canada, weighing 240 pounds, Ronnie Garvin, the Southeastern Heavyweight Champion, and his corner, bodyguard, Big Bad John. And as for the introductions, I would say Katie, bar the door, because this is going to be a knockdown, drag-out affair, as Ronnie Garvin faces Ron Wright. Wright has returned the Southeastern Bell, as we said, at a cost of... Okay, so the referee had to stop the match because the ring was so full of wrestlers. It was a wild match. I mean, it was absolutely out of control. But the match wasn't over yet. The TV wasn't over yet. And the match wasn't really over yet. So we have another interview that comes right here. It's at the end of this match. Uh, the referee has stopped the match because there's too many people in the ring. It's just wild in the studio. 
And uh, so after this match is over, Big Bad John and Garvin go back to the set. And they're going to make the interview where in which uh, he's going to talk about Garvin's match with me. He's going to talk about his upcoming Cadillac tournament match with Tor Tanaka on this Thanksgiving night card. All right. We're keeping our man Lou busy today. Let's hear it, Lou. Tanaka, and of course, Ron Fuller goes against your Southeastern heavyweight champion. Ron Fuller is in a world of trouble. He just don't know it. This man has already been paid $10,000, and it's an undone job. The job is not finished because Fuller is still wrestling. Now, last Friday, Fuller, I could have wrestled you. I could have took you out there and beat you to death, even though... Even though my finger was hurt. Even though. But, not my business. It's not my job to do that. This man has already been paid for it. And I'm going to tell you something. This Thanksgiving, it's going to get done. But you know what I'm going to do? Everybody out there running and hollering, this big giant's scared of this, big bad giant's scared of that. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I ain't scared of nothing. Nothing or nobody. And I'm going to tell you, Thanksgiving's going to be nice for me because I'm going to get the biggest turkey of them all. <laughs> I'm going to get to a Tanaka. And Tanaka, you think, when I hit you upside the head with a snap the other night, I'll zap your eyeballs crooked. They must be crooked because you signed a contract to wrestle me. So I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be a little proven going to be a little proven come Thursday night. Thanksgiving is going to be eating day, and Big John is going to sit down and have the turkey. I'm going to eat you alive, Tanaka. I'm going to eat you alive. And Fuller, it's going to be your last and final night to wrestle. So just forget it all. Hang it up. Take that cowboy hat and go back to wherever you come from. So now we're at the very end of this show. Uh, there's basically one minute left in the program. Uh, that time was usually left for less to thank people for watching the show and to cover the next week's show if there's anything special coming up. But uh, that's not going to happen on this show. Uh, the TV trophy was still sitting on the desk by Les. Mm. where I'd put it at the beginning of the show. It hadn't been touched, hadn't been moved. Big Bad John and Garvin are still at the set. They just finished the interview that people just listened to. Mm -hmm. So John decides that he's going to take the TV trophy and leave the set with it. Uh -oh. <laughs> and then Tanaka and I, we're back in the dressing room, and we see on the monitor him grab the trophy. So uh, all hell's about to break loose in the last minute of this show. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so we're going to play another audio clip, and I really love this one. Uh, you can hear Tanaka screaming something at John. Listen closely, because I've been telling people, you know, you can't understand Tanaka. Tanaka is going to really, he, he's got, he's going to string together four or five words. I have no idea, but, uh, you know, uh, but it's going to give fans that I've been telling, trying to tell you about how Tanaka talks or, or how he attempts to talk. but. Uh, this is what happens on the very end of this TV show. All right, here we go. All right, Lou, let's play that last piece of audio from the TV show of November 20th, 
1976, going back in time once again. My trophy, I'm taking it, and I'm going to tell you something. It's not going to be up for grabs for 30 days. 30 days. I don't know what that is. It's not where it belongs. Hey, but this is where it belongs. Wow, Ron, you were absolutely right. I just thought that studio crowd was loud in the early part of the show. No wonder Southeastern Wrestling was so successful. And TV ratings, you man, you had them jacked up through the roof. You guys really had that studio going, no doubt. That's awesome. Yeah, it was a, you know, it was the type of close on the show that that, that didn't happen too often. Uh, right. But when it did, and and uh, and occasionally we had shows that ended up going off the air, and just totally fans going crazy in the studio. People at home are going just as crazy as the ones in the studio, and they can't see what happens after that. It's just really, really, it just dramatically increased crowds for the week after these type of shows went down. So this southeastern week is going to start off of that show, and uh, the overall fan base and. And especially the TV ratings just jump when shows ended this way. Oh, no uh, so this TV would have easily sold out the Coliseum. A uh, bigger crowd than Terry Funk and I drew. Thousands would have been, thousands were turned away the following Thursday night because we weren't in the Coliseum. We couldn't get in the Coliseum. They weren't at this point letting anybody rent it for Thanksgiving night. Uh, I'm going to talk them into it in the coming year. And uh, we're going to run the next three Thanksgivings in the Coliseum. But we're going to turn away thousands of people in Chihuahua Park on Thanksgiving night. Uh, and we're going to uh, luck out a little bit uh, that, uh, that uh, the fire marshal wasn't there. And we're going to put a pack that building, gosh, a mighty, an amazing number of people in there. You know, so uh, all those upcoming Thanksgiving nights going to be in the Coliseum. And every single one of those nights are going to set up. That's awesome. And uh, no doubt, I remember as a kid, the, sh the TV shows ending that way, even in our market in, in Dothan, Alabama, and it ends in a fever pitch. And every kid, including me, jumps up and goes, Mama, Daddy, I can I go to wrestling? Because, because it, was just, it was just one of those fever pitch deals. And so the, that sold a ton of tickets. That's pretty cool right there. All right. Hey, it's a great place for a break. Let's do that. This Studcast will continue in moments right here. Stay with us. Super Studcast number 35, the first interactive Ask the Stud Part 2 is now available. This one is similar in format and length to Part 1 and also has fans from all across America and in this one, Canada as well. The questions are all as different as the personalities of the questioners. At TNStud.com or Patreon.com slash Studcast is where you'll find it. 
Ron displays his tremendous recall and knowledge of all parts of professional wrestling in this four-hour remarkable ride. He wants to thank everyone who took part in this historical Super Studcast for their enlightened questions and participation. Get this Super Studcast now at tnstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Only $2.99 for four hours of unique wrestling history. The best deal in wrestling just keeps getting better. Welcome back. Another exciting Studcast. David Summers here with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. Don't forget, tnstud.com can save you a bunch of time. It is where you start your Christmas shopping for the ultimate wrestling fan on your list. Autograph photos of the Stud, T-shirts in black and white, autograph copies of Ron's new novel, Brutus, which is just tearing it up with five-star ratings, an incredible and historical DVD collection loaded with matches and interviews from the Continental and Southeastern wrestling days. That will take you back in time. That's a ton of fun right there. TNstud.com. TNstud.com is the studs home on the internet. Order now and get everything in time for Christmas. And don't forget to check out Ron on his Facebook page, this Sunday, be ready for that, 3 p.m. Eastern, and more details on that will be coming up. All right, so we're ready to ride. Where are we headed to now, Ron? Well, obviously, we're going to give you the results, everybody out there, the results of this first ever Thanksgiving night in wrestling. Uh, the opening match was the first of three Cadillac tournament matches. Don Canoodle won over the new Gladiator, Jim Dalton. Ron Wright beat the great Mephisto. Toward Tanaka. Obviously beat Big Bad John, who uh, spent very little time in the ring and took a powder early. As soon as Tanaka got fired up and, and got a sweat going, uh, Big John was ready to go to the dressing room. <laughs> and then in the big Texas tornado match between the Von Steigers and Jimmy Gold and Mike Stallings, where the loser of the fall had to leave Southeastern, that was the fourth match. Mike Stallings lost the fall, and he left Southeastern. Mike Stallings, I don't, I'm sure people probably aren't aware of this, was he was the actual cousin of Jerry Stubbs. And uh, he ended a great run as an up-and-coming new star uh, in Southeastern. And uh, I'm going to take him with me and Bob Armstrong as part of the first crew ever when we open up Southeastern Pensacola about 15 months later. So uh, he's going to go south with us uh, when we go back. I don't think he's going to come back to Knoxville before we go to Pensacola. So the main event between me and Garvin for the Southeastern title was just as wild as the ending of the TV show on Saturday before. It got stopped again by the referee. Both Garvin and Big Bad John were working me over and Tor Tanaka came down to help me, thank goodness. And everybody in that building was on their feet just like they were in that studio the Saturday before. It was overall an extremely successful first Thanksgiving night. Man, that sounds like Thanksgiving 1976 really went great for you, Rod. All right, how about the box office? I think you said earlier you would give us the attendance results for the entire week. Did y'all make a bunch of money or just a few bucks? Yeah, well, let's see. Well, let's, we'll go through it. Uh, I'm going to break it down for the entire week. Thanksgiving. I'll start on Monday, November 22nd of 1976, and I'm going to go through Saturday night, November 27th. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you recall, earlier in the studcast and today's training, I said that one of the main reasons for moving Knoxville to Thursday night 
instead of the regular Friday was to get a big crowd for three nights in a row, uh, making it the three-day weekend, basically. So it gave me the opportunity to sell out Knoxville on Thursday night because it was Thanksgiving and the holiday, and then find two of my best smaller cities for big sellouts on Friday and Saturday. So the largest building in my territory back in that time, other than the Knoxville's Jolly Park and the Coliseum, was in Hazard, Kentucky. It had a municipal arena that held about 5,000 people. I also had been sending my TV show to a station in Hazard for more than a year. We were running Hazard on Monday nights about once a month. Had been doing that about the probably nine months or so at this point. We'd been averaging, we had built it from a start of maybe 1,500 to 3,000. We were doing about 3,000 an event by Thanksgiving of 1976. I wanted to fill those last 2,000 seats, and I thought I could do it by moving it to a Friday night, making a weekend event out of it for the very first time. So here was my Thanksgiving week schedule for Southeastern in 1976. Monday night, we wrestled in Corbin, Kentucky, in a high school gym. It was a big as all gyms, thank goodness, in the state of Kentucky, because it's such a huge basketball state, they built big gyms because they knew they were going to put a lot of people in there for basketball. Thank goodness that happened because we put more people in there for wrestling than they ever put in for basketball. I mean, we packed those buildings. It was ridiculous. Wow. So on that first Monday night in Corbin, Kentucky's high school, uh, it was a 3,000-seat gym. We put 3,200 fans in there. 3,000 seats for basketball. Yes. That's, yeah, uh, yeah oh. that's Kentucky all right, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you didn't wow. see this in many states, but because yeah. of the history of that state, yeah, uh, they built big gyms. Thank yeah. goodness for that. Yeah. So we did 3,200 on that Monday night in Corbin. On Tuesday night, we went to Johnson City, which was our weekly town. That building was kind of small. It only held about 2,800. We'd have been filling that building for a year at this point, every Tuesday night. And uh, that night, we pushed it to just a little over 3,000, and they cut us off. So we had 3,000 on Tuesday. On Wednesday, which was another holiday night, because the next day is Thursday. So kids aren't going to school on Thursday. It's almost like four-day weekend, in Mm -hmm. a way. So on that Wednesday, there's no school on Thursday. We sold out this beautiful brand new gym in, in a place called Whitley County, Kentucky, and another crowd of over 3,000 people. Did you have the fire marshal coming in and c- keeping count and controlling, hey, you got to cut it off here? Not in these smaller towns. I don't know that they had fire marshals. In well, I was, I was wondering if that was a thing back then. Uh, it certainly is today, of course, as you know, but, uh, but back oh, then. Yeah. And it, and it is today in, uh, in all major cities. And, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. but I have a feeling in any smaller cities in the Kentucky and uh, outside of Knoxville, we never saw a fire marshal. They didn't have a problem with overselling their buildings. <laughs> they, yeah. they didn't yeah. fill their buildings till we started coming to town. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> then they probably got a little bit upset if a fire marshal or somebody with the fire department came and saw those crowds. They might have had a little bit of a problem. <laughs> So anyway, on Wednesday night, we packed another 3,000 into a Whitley County High School gym in Kentucky. So obviously Thursday night in Knoxville is the big Thanksgiving event. Uh, Because there was no fire marshal working, it's a holiday. (laughs) You know, 
fire marshals, they, they were home having turkey dinner with everybody else. Uh, we were able to pack about 4,300 people in the Jacobs building in Chihuahua Park. I'd raised the prices $1 for the event because it was a really good event, because it was a holiday event. It didn't keep the fans away. And we turned away. We had 4,300 in that building, and we might have turned away another 4,000. It was just absolutely ridiculous. You couldn't get down that road. They closed the highway. Uh, Magnolia Avenue is what the big wow. street was called. Four lane, and they shut it down for probably an hour prior to the prior to the matches. So Friday night, we were in Hazard. Uh, that's where I decided we were going to take it because we had that 5,000-seat building. And uh, we actually did more than 4,000 for this event. And uh, I was a little disappointed that we didn't sell it out. But the really strange thing about it was that we're going to break that 5,000 figure. Actually, we're going to go well over that 5,000 figure in just over a month later because Andre the Giant's going to go with me up there. To yeah, that'll do it for you. In <laughs> these little towns or communities, or, or maybe they call them municipalities, they were they were reaping the benefits with taxes, I'm assuming, off every ticket sold, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, so yeah. They, they had to love you. Everybody Christmas. was making money, and the schools were making yeah. a tremendous amount of money, and yeah. that money was either going to football teams or you know, organizations within the school, or yeah. the school was spending it on things that they needed. Uh, it was a heck of a deal yeah. for, for schools and a heck of a deal for me and, and for yeah. Southeastern. It was a win-win for everybody, that That's arrangement. Awesome. Yeah, no doubt. Saturday night, we got one more gym left. That's Harlan, Kentucky. It holds 3,000. We put 3,200 in it. So, <laughs> I mean, we just, you know, total attendance for the six nights of the Thanksgiving week of 1976 was 20,900 fans. Good God. Almost 21,000 people. Wow. Uh, in six matches. Yeah. They averaged about 3,500 fans in each of those nights. Uh, the average ticket price, including the race price that I put onto the Knoxville event, turned out to be about $4 a ticket. So the gross for that week was more than $83,000 uh, one week. In today's money, that's over $300,000. Wow. <laughs> so the wrestlers got 30% of that gross, which turned out to be $25,000 total for their week. 10 wrestlers that I had made $2,000 each. And uh, two of them made $1,500 each. The two referees made $1,000 each for the week. Man. Uh, so those top wrestlers that made that 2000 that week, that was equal to $8,000 in today's money. God, somebody mm. was just... No doubt. So, Dave, how many other... Other wrestlers around the country did my crew call to brag about what they made that week. I mean, it just opened the door for Southeastern to get as good or better talent as any territory in the country or anywhere in the world for that matter. I mean, that kind of money and guys just calling everybody they know and say, guess what I made this week? Holy oh, my phone started ringing big time. I, I don't know if you know, but how, what were other markets or other wrestlers getting compared to that? 50% or, or, or less? Or Oh, you, you know, I was paying, I was paying basically around 30%, 28, 30%. You know, most territories were paying uh, 
Nick Gulis was paying 20%. Right. You know, there were some places where they paid so much less than what I did. You know, my payoffs were just about as much as any place was paying. And obviously, it helped you to get great talent. Oh, no doubt. And that, that's amazing how you were taking you were taking these small markets, I mean, literally very small towns in Kentucky uh, and uh, Tennessee, and just doing such amazing work. That is, it's, uh, it's no doubt that you had great talent like the Mongolian Stomper, Joe LaDuke, and England's Tony Charles lined up to start in 1977. So you, you were beginning to wrap up the year in a huge way, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, uh, we were we were just really really kicking some butt uh, during that time frame, and I was just getting these calls. After this week, uh, that Thanksgiving week, I I, I must have got uh, ten calls at least from wrestlers around the world saying, "Can I come in? Uh, uh, when can I start?" You know. Yeah. So, uh, and I was I already had that stopper was already scheduled. Joe LaDuke was one of them that called me, and so did Tony Charles out of England. Uh, so you know, I mean, it was just a uh, yeah, thing business was good. I guess that's a good way of putting it. And and the better the talent that you had, the bigger the crowds. So by the end of 1976, Southeastern would be grossing as much as most large territories in the NWA. We were we were up there with all of the big boys, and we were the smallest territory in history. That is so cool. All right, these stuckcasts are obviously becoming the most interesting and historical wrestling podcast anywhere i can't wait for next week but we've got more today let's get that cold drink we'll take a seat under the learning tree for even more history so remind us of the questions for today and who did you have set up to ask them well the learning tree today uh for this studcast comes from a gentleman named mark cole and i like these questions because they were relevant to what was happening in southeastern at this time uh, last week's studcast featured the beginning of the cadillac tournament and uh, these learning tree questions today are all about that tournament. So Mark asked, how much of the Cadillac tournament was booked from the start? Did you know the winner and his finals opponent? Did you have build-up angles coming out of the tournament or backup plans in case of an injury? There's great questions about a tournament. So let's start with this first question. How much of the tournament was booked from the start? Well, actually, Mark, None of it was booked from the start. It was an almost three-month tournament. So at that point, in a three-month tournament, you don't even know who's going to be with you at the end of that tournament. Or you're still in the territory. And most tournament patches were basically thrown together from the beginning. Uh, they were matches that opened up cards in Knoxville and Johnson City. Uh, so this Thanksgiving card was a great example of, uh, of what I'm talking about with the tournament. The three opening matches on this Thanksgiving night are tournament matches for the Cadillac. Uh, and they're followed by two heavily angled feuds that have been going on a while. The tag feud for months had been going on between Golan and Stallings and the Von Steigers. And obviously that feud was going to end that night on Thanksgiving with the loser having to leave Southeastern. The other match that night between Garvin and I, we're at the beginning of a long running feud. That's going to be similar to the tag match that night in a way, because it's just going to, it's going to rage for a while. Tournament matches were meaningful, but only because of the significance of the Cadillac and the fact the car was there every night in these buildings for fans to see it. 
and it just kept gaining importance as the tournament went on uh, because of the way I was promoting it. Another reason these open matches were interesting was the fact I was learning how to make every wrestler in my crew important. I was getting more top guys. To build a more powerful crew, I, I wanted to have the best crew I could from top to bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was not the way most bookers normally handled business back in those days. They emphasized the top few wrestlers that they had in their crews. Those were the guys that were every night on top, and they obviously made most of the money. The undercard guys weren't nearly as good as these top guys were, and uh, I didn't want to run a territory like that. I wanted to have a territory uh, as a booker that was full of all top guys so that Mm -hmm. anybody could interchange and so that everybody was about to make the same kind of money. When you did that as a booker, you took away all the ego problems that you're going to have with these big crews because guys are making more money. They ask each other, how much you make, how much do you make? I was building a territory in which everybody's going to make the same money and it's going to be big money. So uh, it was a great process for me, and I was headed in the right direction as a booker. The second question was, did you know the winner and his finals opponent? I did know the winner. And man, I knew the winner because I, I'd bought this car and, and I'd paid cash for it. I couldn't afford to just give it to somebody. Uh, mm-hmm. I needed to be able to recover some of what I had paid for it. So I asked around the territory about who would be willing to pay a portion of the car's price in order to get a beautiful car and to also realize that you're going to become a star when you win it. So, you know. The one guy that I'm not going to mention the guy's name. I want fans to kind of okay. stay in this tournament with me and right, to the very right. end. But the guy that uh, did it with me, gosh, he was who I would have expected. Probably is wow, a okay. good way to put it. So I didn't know who's going to be in the finals at the beginning of the tournament. I had a lot of great talent coming in from the beginning of the tournament all the way up to the finals. That's almost three months of the tournament here. In fact, one of the last four wrestlers in the tournament, in the semifinals, is going to be only there for his second week. And he's going to be in the semifinals of the tournament. And uh, and he's a big name that I haven't mentioned. So the last question was, did you have, have build-up angles coming from the tournament or backup plans in case of an injury? Well, as the tournament progressed, obviously each match is going to be more significant. Build-up angles, that's just the natural progression of a tournament like this. I mean, you've got top guys in there against each other, and uh, it doesn't take much more than the fact that they're wrestling each other for a Cadillac to make it an even bigger angle and to do something else with them pretty easily. Backup plans, probably not a bad idea, but I'd already learned over the last two years from the unplanned uh, injuries that I had in the sport that, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I had been hurt twice and I didn't plan on getting hurt. So I'd also learned as a booker to, to not get discouraged when somebody got hurt. It was an unplanned injury. Every booker had to deal with that. And uh, it was through these hard times when somebody got hurt that you weren't expecting to get hurt, that great bookers really learned their craft. And uh, so improvising was a booker's necessity. And the best bookers just downright turned tragedy into triumph. That's pretty amazing because you talked about this a few weeks ago after the big funk 
match, before the funk match, you said you had a composition book and you said you probably had 12 or 13 matches and angles already laid out for Ronnie Garvin and you after he was to come off the top rope and land on your throat with his knee. And of course, that didn't come out so well. So you had to scrap all those plans and come up with a new plan. But that's exactly what you're talking about, just being versatile as a booker. That's it. Improvising, improvising. And the great bookers, uh, they took those uh, what would be tragic and uh, and a lot of them would just uh, roll over and play dead and their houses go to crap. They turn it into triumph. They figure out a way to make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. (laughs) That's kind of what you had to do as a booker sometimes. Grandpa, I don't think I ever heard that one before. (laughs) That's an old. (laughs) All right, Rod, that is awesome. Another great one. Southeastern's Thanksgiving of 1976 had to be one of the all-time best memories ever. All right, on Facebook, simply like and follow the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud page and automatically become friends with a legend. Also on Facebook, like and follow the author Ron Fuller Welch page and become friends on his Brutus site as well. It has everything about his great new novel, Brutus, the fantastic lion story being compared to Jaws. Super Studcast number 35, part two, is now available Four hours of tremendous wrestling history, interactive with fans from around the world. This one is really special. TNstud.com or patreon.com slash studcast. Only $2.99. It is the best deal in wrestling. All right. Where are we saddling up and riding to next week, Ron? Well, we're headed obviously into December of 1976. We're going to be starting on the end of a record year for Southeastern 1976. Been a, just a phenomenal year. Uh, Bob Armstrong is going to be returning to Knoxville and Southeastern next studcast. Robert Fuller is going to return the studcast after that. The first ever Southeastern Christmas Night Spectacular is also going to be coming soon. And uh, we'll have another today's training and a learning tree again next week. Uh, just like we do every week. And then 1977 is just going to blow fans away. I'm telling you, Southeastern is going to, we we had a big year in 76. We can't touch it. 77 is just going to be, wow. The, it blows the roof off of every building we're in. <laughs> I want to thank everybody that listens. Uh, you know, everybody that has listened uh, today and every week and, uh, Please tell your friends about us uh, so they know they have opportunity maybe to discover some real wrestling history. Uh, I think that's what we do here. Please take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. God bless you too, Ryan. This is David Summers thanking you for listening, hoping you'll join us again next week, and reminding you that Ron Fuller's Studcast is a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains. <laughs>